Every week we pray together, and every week we have prayer groups that come together and pray over requests that you've sent in um, through the prayer request cards in your pew racks or through our website online. I encourage you to let us know what's happening in your lives and um, help us stay connected to each other as we pray over your concerns. I invite you to bow your heads with me. Good morning, dear Creator. Thank you for welcoming us, this community of believers, and binding us together with your love. We know you are present now here in this place and present with us always. No temple can bind you. No world is big enough. No theologian can pin down entirely who you are, and still you choose us to be in relationship with you. We are in awe of your greatness and power, and still you grant us freedom to learn and grow as we follow your way. We cannot understand all there is to know about you, and in our smallness we can be frustrated by that, and still you whisper and encourage and draw us in through your grace. Gracious and merciful Lord, on some days it is hard to acknowledge that it is a good morning. You have created this day, and we rejoice and are glad for it, and yet we know that it may be as full of joy and laughter as it is fraught with sadness and sorrow. We pray for all who come together on their Sabbath day to worship you, God and for your healing that has already begun in the face of injury, pain, and death. You have created us as a people who are connected to each other, and so we pray not only for those touched by tragedy in Pittsburgh and other locations that don't make the headlines, but for those who suffer indirectly. Alleviate the fear of those who suffer post-traumatic stress or depression or anxiety. Bring your comfort to those who grieve and whose grief wells up in the face of more loss. Strengthen those who are hampered by physical illness or injury and help us all to trust that when we feel powerless, you are working to right this world and will show us in your good time how to partner with you whether through prayer or other means. You are the God who works good in and through all circumstances, and we pray for the movement of your spirit to continue to flow throughout this broken world. As Jesus put on flesh and dwelled among humanity, we ask that we humans can continue to be your body in the world at the same time being an example of the kingdom that is here and the kingdom that will come. Bind us together in relationship with you and with each other as we pray the words that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
would like to invite all of our children down. everyone. Have any of you all ever been trick-or-treating before? Yeah? Do you, do you just dread it? No? Why do you like trick-or-treating? Because you get candy? Oh, that's, that's, yeah, it's fun. Well, Halloween is this week. Did you know that? Yeah, it's on Wednesday. I'm sure you have it on your calendars. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is this Wednesday. And I remember when I was your age and I would go trick-or-treating. And there was this one neighborhood we would go to. And they would give us full-size candy bars. Not the little tiny ones, but an actual giant candy bar just for us. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like that big, like even bigger, not that big. <laughs> A little bit smaller. <laughs> yep. That was pretty awesome because most places we would go to would give you a handful of smaller candies, but the big candy bars were my favorite. And you know, that kind of reminds me of stewardship now, most of you may not know what stewardship is, and every year, kind of like we do Halloween every year, every year we talk about giving money to the church. That's what stewardship is. And our theme this year is Jesus giving so much that it's hilarious, that it's funny, that it's exciting. You remember a children's Sabbath a couple weeks ago, we told jokes yeah, we did that for stewardship. And so I remember when I got that giant candy bar, my dad could not stop laughing. And I think it was because he was covering his tears because he was so sad that we were going to be up all night because that candy bar was so big. But he was just so excited that we got this big candy bar. And do you know that people who give you candy do it for, they give you candy and it's free. Like you don't have to give them money for the candy. They give it to you because they want to. People can choose not to give candy on Halloween, but a lot of people do it anyways because of kindness, because they love seeing happy smiling faces of kids who are getting the candy. And so I think that that's really important to remember that when people give us candy, they're giving it to us because they want to, not because they have to. And that's why we give money to the church, because we want to, because we care about the church. Would you all pray with me? I'm going to invite anyone who would like to repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for our church. Thank you for our love. Teach us how to be cheerful givers. And thank you for candy. Amen. 
All right, anyone who would like to go to Children's Church with me up to fifth grade is welcome to. We also have nursery care, or you're welcome to go sit back in your seats with your families. Our scripture list today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Hear these words. Now it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year. Your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and to arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised so that it may given be ready as a voluntary gift and not an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may, be, may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. book, Uh-Oh, talks about a character, a little boy named Norman. Norman's in elementary school. Teacher comes in and says the school play is going to be Cinderella. We're giving out parts and everybody gets real excited. You know, a lot of the girls wanted to be Cinderella, a lot of the boys the prince, but there's a lot of parts. The fairy godmother, the wicked stepmother. But the teacher made sure there's going to be parts for everybody. She, she came up with some extra parts and she wasn't surprised that Norman didn't raise his hand. It wasn't so much that Norman was shy and bashful, it's just that he wasn't going to say anything unless he really had something worth saying. And he was kind of his own person. So she got to the end of it and she said, Norman, I'm, I'm not surprised you didn't raise your hand, but there will be a part for you. What part would you like to play? He said, the pig. She said, Norman, um, there is no pig in Cinderella. Norman says, there is now. Norman got to come up with his own costume. It was a uh, uh, full-length um, pink underwear, a little pink cup on his nose, pipe cleaner for a tail. And, and Norman pretty much decided what the pig was going to do. He said the pig's going to be the favorite pet of Cinderella. Where Cinderella goes, so goes the pig. And the pig mirrored the emotions of Cinderella. Cinderella's happy, pig's happy. Cinderella's sad, pig's sad. 
So you can imagine we get to the end of the, uh, the whole production and the Cinderella and the prince, they hug and they go off happily ever after and Norman is just jumping up and down. He even gets up on his hind legs, dancing and barking. Now during the rehearsal when um, Norman tried out the barking thing, the teacher said, but Norman, pigs don't bark. Norman says, this one does. <laughs> And she had to admit, he really barked well. <laughs> so when the curtain call went up, who do you think got the, the greatest applause? Yeah, Norman, the barking pig. <laughs> the thing I love about the story is how Norman refused to accept the limits of the script. A little bit like Jesus. You know, the leaders I had come up and said, this, this is the Messiah script and said, Sorry, Jesus, um, there's no Jesus in the Messiah script because Messiahs, they don't disregard their reputation and hang out in questionable places with questionable people. And Jesus said, this one does. <laughs> but Jesus um, even took away the limit of the scripts for all of us because in, in his day, religion had become this kind of heavy, ponderous, burdensome thing, weighty obligations. Jesus came along and changed all that and they said, sorry, Jesus, um, there is no laughter, there is no surprise, there is no joy in this script. And Jesus says, there is now. And Paul comes along and said that Jesus could even bring joy into the subject of the month, the subject of stewardship. Second Corinthians, interesting letter. Some of you know from Disciple Bible Study, there were probably not just two, but four letters to the Corinthians. There was that first letter, that first Corinthians. And boy, that's where Paul just peels back the bark and giving it to this early church for all their divisive and petulant ways. But then word gets to Paul that, well, some of the folks there in Corinth, they've come around. They've kind of gotten their act together. So these first chapters, like probably the first nine chapters in Second Corinthians are what we call the reconciling letter. Paul actually has some good things to say to these people now. He's not only instructive, he's encouraging. He says, I am so pleased to hear that you've been concerned about your brothers and sisters. And in fact, I've been bragging. I've been boasting about you to the other churches of your generous spirit. And now he says, I think it's time. I think it's time for go on and put the first down payment on what you have promised. What's he talking about? He's talking about a real monetary offering for the people in Macedonia. There he is again, another preacher talking about money. <laughs> Some people say we talk about money too much in the church. I'm at the point I don't think we talk about it enough. Uh, not for the sake of the budget, sake of the gospel, my goodness. I, I'm at the point I, I don't want to be a part of a gospel that's just a bunch of puff pastry like what you read on some Hallmark card. I, I want a gospel that gets into the nitty gritty parts of my life like what I do with my time, my capacities, what I do with my wallet. Yeah, I want that kind of gospel. Paul's not apologizing, talking about the offering for Macedonia. But then he doesn't stop there. He gets underneath the surface to the spirit of Christian generosity. He says, oh, by the way, friends, as you take the offering, make sure this comes from your heart. May this not be compulsory. May this not be begrudging. May this not be obligatory. Because he said, after all, 
God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. Robert McCracken, who was a famous preacher at Riverside Church in New York, he goes up to Chautauqua Society for a retreat and hears a minister preaching on this text. And the minister gets up there and says, freely you have received and freely you give. And he said, and God loves a hilarious giver. I tried that line on y'all a couple of weeks ago saying this is our stewardship theme and you laughed. You mean you're going to put hilarity in the same, you're going to combine it with giving? Well, McCracken hears this. And he thinks to himself, well, that's an interesting turn of the phrase. But he says, I imagine the preacher, he was um, taking liberties with the text. So he goes back, gets out his Greek New Testament, and, and he can't believe his eyes. And that what the preacher has done, that he has um, done a literal, gets a literal sense of Paul's adjectives. In other words, he um, transliterates, not just translates. And he says it's very close in that original Greek, hilarious giving. Of course God lives, loves a hilarious giver because that's God's nature. I mean, that's the um, air into which we were born. Um, that's the very fabric of our existence. And when we give, we weave ourselves into that. Of course God loves a hilarious giver because that's the kind of giver God is. It's all through Scripture, right there in the beginning. Out of the joy of God's aliveness, God says, this is too good to keep to myself. And so God just widens the circle of joy. He says, let there be light, and oh, there is wondrous light. He said, let there be life, and there's abundant life. And then the Scripture says, bless the Lord, O my soul, that I will never forget thy benefactions. You crown me every day with loving kindness and tender mercies. And then God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his son. And then Paul again. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, hilarious gift. I mean, giving royally without stint or measure. Do you want to get into that today? To get into the full hilarity of God's giving, you've got to begin with gift. How much of it is a gift? I mean, just touch, taste, smell your way into the hidden depths of things. And what you're going to find is life itself is grace. You know, yeah. Fred Craddock used to get upset with people that they're so, they're so sure of what they can earn and what they can buy. He said, it's pitiful, isn't it? People walking around with a fistful of $50 bills saying, I want to buy me a home. I want to buy me a home. Isn't that pitiful? Oh, you can buy a house. And you can't buy a home. Oh, but I want to buy me a friend. No, you can't buy. You can buy a companion for the evening, but you can't buy not a friend. I'd like to buy some time. You can't buy any time on this earth. We'll sell you a nice watch. Yeah. Isn't that just kind of sad? People walking up to the bargain counters of life saying, I've earned this, I've deserved this, I'm entitled to this. Now it's on the house, as we say around here. Life itself. And, and, and think about it, that life we have, it's new every day. God takes the same old materials of earth and fire and water and makes something new every day out of them. If you think you're watching the same show every day, you're crazy. Every day we wake up into that which 
in all eternity never has been before or will be again. You're alive right here, right now. It needn't have been so. It hasn't always been so, and it won't forever be so, but it's so right now. So be so fully alive in this moment that you can be aware of the giftedness of right here, right now, and not just the gift, but my goodness, the lavishness of it. Oh, you don't think it's lavish? Oh, sure you do. Spring of the year, just go up to graveyard fields in search of a wildflower. Go up in search of a wildflower get there and you're not going to find one little sentinel flower in one shade of color. You're going to get up there and see acres tumbling upon acres of wildflowers in vast array of Kodachrome colors. Yeah. Rob Bell tells about a head injury he had in 2000. It was a water skiing injury. He'd been in the hospital for three or four days. He said, I couldn't drive home. My wife had to drive me home. He said, we came around the corner toward the house and Everything was so familiar and yet unfamiliar. He said, it's like I've seen it for the first time. He, he, um, he said, we got into the house and my boys came into the room and they were the most stupendous, exotic creatures in the universe for me. I couldn't stop staring at them. I couldn't keep the tears out of my eyes. I kept saying, look, this is my life. His friend Tomas came over to see him on, on that first afternoon he was there, and Tomas later said, Hey, Rob, when I walked into the room, you were just sitting there in the chair, and you were looking at your hands, and you were fiddling with them and moving with them. You kept looking at your hands, and you held them up to me and said, Aren't they amazing? Yeah, see, it's extravagant. It's lavish. It's God-giving... Um, without stint or measure, never the bare minimum, not begrudgingly, not reluctantly. But Paul would say, if you want to go into the full hilarity of God's giving, you've got to follow the gift of God in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, he made the world filled with awe and beauty. He made you and me. And he gave us freedom to choose something less than God and less than life. And when we chose something other than God, guess what? God kept choosing us. He kept coming after us. And then in the fullness of God's search, he came in his son Jesus. He sent him as love. And the one who came as love remained love. And he carried love as far as it could go, giving up his life not just for his friends, but for you, me, for the sake of the world. And you know, I know, what then is ever going to separate us from the love of God? unqualified, unconditional. I ask, I ask you, is that normal love? Of course not. I mean, normal love is uh, it, it's based on the receiver of the love. What is it regulated by? Well, it's regulated by appearance, by personality, by behavior. We bear no thermostatic impact on the love of God. His love doesn't hinge on ours. His goodness doesn't enhance God's love. Our goodness doesn't enhance God's love, nor does our weakness dilute it. That is preposterous. That's outlandishly undeserved. Jesus incarnated. Oh, he loved to talk about it. Whole 15th chapter of Luke. 
Jesus just gets carried away and talking about the extravagant love of God and the full comedy of grace. Oh, it reaches its height at the end of the prodigal son. You know the story. The boy has wasted his inheritance in the far country. Doesn't even have two nickels he can rub together. And he goes home. There's no sign of remorse. There could have been. We don't. Why did he go home? Well, because he can go home and get three square meals a day. And when you're starving to death, that's enough to get you home. Father's up there on the porch to see this boy coming around the edge of the tennis court and goes running down toward him and just about knocks the boy over with the whiskers and the tears and the laughter of his welcome. The boy's home. That's all that matters. Isn't it interesting? The boy doesn't get some well-rehearsed welcome home speech. Dad doesn't say, I told you so, or say, well, it's about time, or I hope you learned your lesson, or now you can make it up to your mother, or why don't you go and get your work clothes on and get out in the field and show us that you've earned your place here again, or that you've, well, you've earned the respect of our friends. That's not the way this works. That's, that's the hilarity of it. The boy's home. You're home. I'm home. That's all that matters. Father says, come on now. This is what we're going to do. We're going to roll back the carpet. We're going to crank up the stereo. We're going to heat up the grill. We're going to get out the best scotch and the best beef. And we're going to ring up the neighbors. And we're going to have a party. This isn't going to be a party any of you can throw for yourself. This is a surprise party. Come on. The way the story should end. The rightful ending to this story is the boy is out there in the field sweating in the furrows and he's living in the servant quarters. But that's not the way the story ends. Next time you think about the story and you think about the father running down the drive, think about him running towards you. Yeah. Planning an event so unexpected, so undeserved, you, you just can't help but fall down before the mystery of it. I love the story. It's a true story. Um, Tom Long said um, he had a student, theology school. The student was kind of focusing on urban ministry. And so the student is out running, jogging with his father one morning. His father happens to be an inner city minister. So they're talking about kind of the challenges of their work. And this is back in the day when we still had something called pay phones. And so they were jogging and the dad looks over and sees the pay phone. He says, oh, hey son, let's jog over there because if, if we make a quick call to the pizza company, they can have home delivered pizza there when we get home. So they start jogging over to the pay phone and here comes a man looking very hungry, possibly homeless. And the man comes up to him and says, hey, hey buddies, uh, could you spare some change? Dad reaches into his sweatpants and pulls out a handful of change and he says here take what you need on oh, the homeless man he, he he understood his good fortune he said I'll take it all okay now we've got a little bit of a dilemma why did they go over to the payphone oh, they were going to call home for a pizza so dad calls out to the man that he said hey hey buddy just a minute we we need a little bit of change for the phone could you spare some change? <laughs> and the man came back toward them 
And now he reaches in his pockets and he pulls out two handful of coins. And you know what he said? Here, take what you need. All right. Now listen, listen carefully. Before the great gift of life, before the extravagant grace of Jesus Christ, you know what we are? We're all homeless prodigals. We're all beggars, and that's good. That's all right. So come home. Expect nothing. And, and, and when you, you hear the music playing and the feast beginning and the dancing starting, then listen to the voice of God saying, Here, here, just take what you need. Isn't that something? <laughs> Doesn't it make you want to laugh a little bit? Isn't that something? God, the giving prodigally, God giving hilariously, everything we have, all the love we need to live abundantly now and forever. Oh, and here comes the final hilarity of Paul's teaching. Paul gets down to the end of his, uh, his discourse and he says, oh, by the way, you know, isn't this something? You have a chance to be a partner with God and God's kind of giving prodigally. You get to be a part of that. God, he said, Paul says, God has given you something that you can give away that can grow into that which is well-formed and changed lives, robust in God. That's, that's the joy of what we're getting to do here today. Whether you brought a pledge card or not, you can make a pledge in your heart. You can think about your talent. You can think about your time. You can think about the words that you can share with the world. You can see, think about what's in your pocketbook and in your wallet and in your checkbooks. And you can say, here, wow, I can see that the great giving goes on. Well, as I make my decision, as you make your decision, let me suggest this. Don't start with your anxiety or concern about the church budget. Don't start there. I love this church, and this church is doing some bold things in the world, but I don't want you to start there. Don't start with... Let's see, now, what was it that I did last year? Don't start with, well, I wonder what would be, you know, an acceptable gift. I want to suggest you start with God. God, the hilarious giver. Would you just start there? See how that moves you. Listen to where it might take you. Amen. Oh,